You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. A while ago, I think it was like a year and a half ago, I got a Fitbit. See, I'm wearing it right now. That's why I'm going to walk around a lot so I get my steps up tonight. But if you don't have a Fitbit, if you don't know the concept, they, you have a stepping goal, and mine is 10,000 steps. That's like the default one, and it tracks your steps and all your other exercise, stuff like that. But it's made me do a lot of weird things, just having this little thing strapped on my wrist. Uh, like there's one night, now in the winter, it's harder to get your steps because it's cold out. And one night, and Adrian has one too, I don't know where the kids were, I think they were in bed or something, but we were trying to get our steps for that day, and it was winter and cold, and both of us were power walking around our house really fast for probably, I don't know, a half hour to an hour, you know, just going really quickly through the house to get our steps up, which I would never do if I didn't have, you know, this dumb thing to track my steps, but we were both going around crazy. Look, if someone came in, it probably would look like we were on drugs, just going aimlessly around our house trying to get steps up, so it makes me do weird things when... Uh, I sit down to watch TV at the end of the day. If I got like 9,500 steps, oh, I'm only 500 steps. I get up and walk in place. And it's not like 500 steps really makes you more fit. I just want to get the stupid green thing that shows up when you get all your steps. So then I got a new Fitbit, and the, you know, the Charge 2, more advanced, which made it even worse because now it gives me an hourly reminder. If you don't get 250 steps every hour, at about the 50, it'll vibrate and be like, are you up for 96 more steps? So I'll get up and walk around my office and try to get my steps so just, so, just for the dot to come up. I mean, that's, that's all there really is to it. And then when you sync it at the end of the night and, and all your things are green, I get the satisfaction. I did, I met all my goals. But it's dumb, right? I mean, I wouldn't walk around like that and do all these weird things except for this little thing on my wrist to remind me to do it. But you know, there's the saying that goes something like, if it, if it looks dumb, but it works, it ain't dumb. It's something like that. And so even though it's, it's dumb to walk around in place a lot, well, I shouldn't say that. I just feel kind of weird about it or awkward. It works because I've lost you know, quite a few pounds through it. Some of those pounds I've lost more than once because I gained them back and lose them again. But it works. I mean, it's effective because it gets me up. And the reason is because I'm not by nature a very active guy, or at least I wasn't. I think I've learned that through stuff like a Fitbit to keep me like, motivated to have something to look for. And it, it takes for me something like that to kind of change my nature a little bit, to give me that constant reminder, you need to get up, you've been sitting for too long. Or at the end of the day, if I look at my steps and I have like 2,000 steps, wow, I'm super lazy. You know, there's proof that I need to get up and move around and be more active. So for me, for something like that, because that's somewhat against my nature to be active, is the constant reminder is what will change me. And I think... With Jesus also, a lame segue, with Jesus, because 
for me, I want to live for myself. I mean, that's, I think, in our natural state, that's what we all want to do. I want to do what's best for me. I want to do what's easiest for me. I want to do what's most pleasurable for me, what's most fun for me. That's easy to do. I don't need a reminder to be like, hey, you should sit on the couch for a while longer. I don't need that reminder. That's very natural. But to do something unnatural, such as follow Jesus, such as love your neighbor and serve other people, that is a very unnatural thing for us in our sinful flesh to do things like that. And that's where that constant reminder is very effective. A constant reminder can even almost change your nature because it needs to be almost pounded into you. And Jesus tells this story, which I love. I'm going to paraphrase, where uh, he says, if someone came over to your house and it was the middle of the night and you didn't have any food, well, you go over to your friend's house and knock on his door. Hey, man, can I get some, can I get some food? Can I get some bread? And the friend's going to say, no, it's the middle of the night. Go away. My kids are asleep. I'm not giving you any bread. Get out of here. Well, then the, you go again. Where's my food? No, I'm not giving you food. It's the middle of the night. Get out of here. My kids are asleep. Well, the guy knock again. If I give you some food, will you leave me alone? Yeah, okay, here's your food. And Jesus' point was, the guy's not going to give him food because he's his friend, but he'll give him food because he's annoyed enough that he just wants him to leave him alone. It's the constant reminder, the knocking at it, that, the persistence. And in order to change ourselves, to change our lives, our nature, to do things that are contrary to our nature, like I said, like follow Jesus, love others, rather than ourselves, it's going to take a lot of reminding, like a Fitbit every day telling me to get up, every hour telling me to move. It's going to take a lot of reminding to do that. And so Peter, we're going to be, Second Peter chapter 1, that's his point we're going to read tonight. How important it is just to be reminded, like let's be reminded about being reminded, and how important reminders are in our faith because, like I said, that's the point I'm getting across. If we're going to do something contrary to our natural way, we need to be reminded repeatedly. And so 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll start at verse 12. Now, really, the, probably the main point of 2 Peter comes up in chapter 2, where he's warning the people he's writing to about false teachers and false prophets but that's kind of sandwiched in between these other points where in chapter 1, he's writing to them about, before he gets to the false teachers, he wants to tell them about true things, reality. What's their salvation really all about? And last time we were in Second Peter, which was like a month ago, we were looking at adding to the knowledge you have of Jesus and not just knowledge, but you need to go to the next step in continuing in your faith. And so then at the Starting in verse 12, he's going to talk about reminding them to do stuff they might already know how to do. And his point is that because living for Jesus goes against our natures, we need to be constantly reminded by something outside of our natures to take Jesus seriously so we do what he says. Hey, let's go then, 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll start at verse 12 and go to the end of the chapter. Let's just read it first, see the flow of it, and then we'll dissect it. Second Peter 1, verse 12. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. 
Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that's the word of God. So let's go back now to verse 12, where he tells us about what he's reminding them of. This is all about being reminded. It says, for this reason. What reason? If we go back, it's been about a month since we were in 2 Peter. Which reason? Look at verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason. So that's the reason. That's the reason why he's going to remind them because he's telling them, you want to make sure of your call and election to be sure that God has chosen you to be a, have a part and a place in his kingdom, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for that reason, he says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. So what are these things? Now we've got to go back to verse 5, a little review. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins." So for this reason, the reason that they will be sure of their call and election into the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, that to your faith should be added as you continue being a Christian, which confirms your call and election. That's what we went over last time. To remind you always of these things. But this last half of the verse is what I really like. Though you know and are established in the present truth. And that's, that's the idea of reminders, right? I mean, you already know. You already know right, that what we're... We've probably heard a lot of stuff before in church. You've heard the same stories. You've heard the same things. You've heard the same sermons, similar things. So he said, I know that you guys know this. He, who he's writing to? And I know you guys probably know this too, but that's the idea about a reminder. You already know it. You're already established in the present truth. But that doesn't stop Peter from saying, I'm going to remind you always, which tells us it's very important to be reminded about things so that we do them eventually. Because I remember you know, when I was the first Christian, when, about five, five and a half years ago, and the first time I read the Bible and it started to make sense, like it started to come together, and I thought before I was a Christian, you know, I'm a smart guy, I know the Bible better than Christians, I think I said that quite a bit. And I thought I knew it, but I just heard stuff. I never really read it. I'd been in church, gone to Sunday school, gone through confirmation, did all this stuff. But then I read it, and it started to come together and make sense after I became a Christian because I had the Holy Spirit to help me understand it. 
And so that was really exciting for me when it started to come together. I remember the first time getting to the New Testament. I was reading through the Bible in, in a year following one of those things. And we finished the Old Testament. Adrian and I were doing it together. We finished the Old Testament. And then I started the New Testament. And I'd read it before, but this time it was different because the New Testament starts Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And the very beginning of the New Testament is a list of names. And I remember after reading the Old Testament for the first time, I was very excited. I know that guy. I remember him. I remember Abijah or whoever's in there. Like, and, I, and it was coming together. I was excited because I was learning new stuff all the time. I didn't know that was in the Bible. Like, the first time I read Ecclesiastes, I was blown away. Something that cynical is in the Bible? I love that. And so it was very exciting just to learn all that stuff. But now I've read the Bible you know, several times. I don't know how many, a few times. I've read books about theology, about God, all that stuff. I've read it. So even though we already know it, I mean, what's, what's the joy? Do we have that same excitement about reading the book of Ephesians, for example, for the 20th time or the 200th time? I mean, what's, where's the excitement come from when it's not new anymore, when, when we're in that kind of reminder phase? Now, I've been also somewhat related. I've been married to Adrian. We're going to be 11, 11 years, right? This, she confirmed. I just wanted to make sure. 11 years uh, this August, but only a couple weeks from now, it'll be 11 years we've been married. And we haven't really talked about this much yet because it's still pretty far in the distant, but if we were going to be, you know, our 40 or 50th year anniversary and do the renew the vows kind of thing, what that, we haven't talked about it, but I was just thinking, what would that be like compared to our first, you know, when we were first married, our, our first vows? Well, it would be different for a lot of reasons. But I think one of the reasons would be, you know, when we were first married, we'd known each other about two years, and we're still in a, a lot of, like, new stuff. It was new and exciting, and we were getting to know each other, and I still learn new things about her all the time. But after the 40-year, the 50-year the anniversary, if you're going to renew the vows, what's that all about? It's not as much about the excitement, it's more about the reminder. That when I renew my vows, if we do that after 40, 50 years of being together, and reminding me, this is the woman who did such an amazing job raising my kids. And I'm thankful for for raising my, my kids up to be grown-ups. This is the woman that I've confided in for 50 years. This is the woman who's beautiful inside and out that I'm married to. And it's not so much about the new things, it's being reminded about stuff I already know. And if I'm at that point, I'm not going to say, well, I'm not really getting anything new. I'm just being reminded about stuff I already know. I think, I, I think we should be about done. That's not what it's about. It's reminding, you, reminding me of the stuff that I already know is what reminds me of the love that I have for her and how thankful I am for her. And when it's with God or with Jesus, and we're at the point, I've read Ephesians 200 times, I haven't, I'm just saying for example. I, I want to hear something new. Well, if we love God, love Jesus, and we're just being reminded about stuff we already know, it, I think it should stir up a similar feeling in us. This is the God who saved me from my sin. This is the God who is merciful to me, who gave me a place in his kingdom. Yeah, I've heard this before. Yeah, I've read this before. But this is the God that I love and who loves me. If you're, I think kind of implicit in this problem, like I, I hear this once in a while, that I'm not being fed 
idea. And there might be legitimate reasons for that, but I think some of that is in this not having joy in the reminder, like yearning for something new all the time instead of just being reminded what you already know, to stir up that love within you for God. And so that's why when Peter says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. I shouldn't ever be worried about being reminded about stuff God has done and who he is. And so Peter's always, he says, I'm always going to remind you about stuff like this. Because look at verse 13 and 14. This is his heart about it. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. This is Peter's heart as a pastor. When Jesus said, feed my sheep, and that's what Peter is doing. He said he's about to die. He says the Lord Jesus has told him he is going to die very soon. And what tradition says how Peter died is that he was martyred for his faith and he was going to be crucified. And Peter said, I'm not worthy to die the same way my Lord died. And they crucified him upside down. And he said he's about to die. Jesus has told him shortly he's going to put off his tent. He's going to die soon. He says, as long as I'm still alive, I'm going to remind you about stuff. Because that's his heart, this patient nagging. Even as it's close to death, one of the last things he took the time to do is write this letter to these people saying, hey, I know you already know it, but I'm just going to remind you. Because he cared about that. He was feeding his sheep. And he does it, he says, to stir you up by reminding you. Literally, that means to wake you up. That by being reminded of who God is and what he asks of us, that they will be stirred up to do what God has asked them to do. That they will be woken up. Like it says in Ephesians, to awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. And I'm going to stir you up because when I remind you, I'm going to stir you up. And that's the idea. He says, verse 15, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And that's a big reason why we have the Bible. Peter wrote this down. We have it still today, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we would, he found a way to be sure, God found a way, that we would be reminded of these things even after Peter died 2,000 years later. So this first part here, this first chunk of this text is saying, I know you know it, guys, but I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to keep reminding you until I die, because I hope to stir you up. That by reminding you, you would be stirred up to love God, love your neighbor, do what Jesus asks of us. Do the work for his kingdom to move it forward. So kind of the point, the application here would be to say, I want to be, I want you to be excited about being reminded of what we already know. Because I know you guys in here, you know, we're Wednesday night Christians. We kind of know the Bible. But we want to be reminded of what we already know and be excited. And not so that we know it better, not so I can say, oh, I had another notch in my theological belt, but so that we do it. That's always the idea. Not to be hearers of the word, but doers. Because Christianity is not about knowing doctrine, understanding the Bible. It's about knowing Jesus and living in light of who Jesus is and who he has called us to be. Paul writes in Romans 7, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Here's what he's saying by that. 
He finds a law, a truth, that there's evil inside of him. Evil still lives within him. The desire to sin still lives there. Even though he wills to do good, he wants to do what God asks. He says, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. In his mind, in his heart, he loves God's law. He loves what God says. But I see another law, another truth in my members, in my hands, and in my eyes, and in my body that wars against the law of my mind. It brings me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, that even as much as he wants to follow God and do what is right and and love his neighbor and love Jesus with all of his heart, there's still the evil man inside of him, the old man, that sinful nature. And that's Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. He's probably changed the world more than anyone in history outside of Jesus Christ. He's saying it's hard to do the will of God because he still has that evil inside of him. And that's why we need to be reminded to be stirred up because it goes so against our nature to love God and love our neighbor that we need those reminders all the time. So I was thinking about, I just did this quickly, is what are some things I need to be reminded of? Because I thought if I do, maybe you guys do too. And maybe you have things that you want to remind me. That would be awesome. See, I always need to be reminded that God is good. That's like one of the foremost. And we sang the song. I need to be reminded of that. And that song's really good because it plays in my head if I need to remember that. That God is good. I need to be reminded of that all the time. Because if I am not reminded of that, and when evil things happen to me or I see evil things happening in the world, if, I don't, if I'm not reminded that God is good, I mean, that's one of Satan's biggest attacks and whisperings is that God isn't good. And when, when you doubt God's goodness, I think that probably shipwrecks our faith more than anything else. When we see the evil and think that God is evil because he allowed it. So we need to be reminded God is good. Even if he allows evil, doesn't make him evil because he has a plan for it. I need to be reminded all the time, I'm saved by grace. By grace, I'm saved, which means it wasn't deserved in the first place, which means I can't undeserve it in the last place. It means that it's not that I so love God, but it's that God so loved me. It's not that the world so loved God, but God so loved the world. Right? If I'm saved by grace, then when I sin, I'm not scared of turning to God in repentance and asking forgiveness because I'm saved by grace. If, I rem- if I'm reminded that I'm saved by grace, it just takes a, lo- a big burden off. I don't have to carry burdens of other people or myself or try to do everything because I'm saved by grace. But I need to be reminded of that because that's against my nature. I want to be saved by works because I want to tell myself I'm a good guy. I need to be reminded all the time, this is not a chore. That, that, maybe it's just me. I need to be reminded this is not a chore. Following Jesus is not a chore. Going to church is not a chore. Singing worship is not a chore. Loving people is not a chore. And I tend to think it is because things that aren't chores are things that come easy to me. It's not a chore to watch TV. Because it's against my nature and I need to be reminded, no, this is an honor to serve God and love my neighbor. I need to be reminded. See, I need to be reminded that I am less important than other people, not in God's eyes, but in my own eyes. My desires, my wants, my needs are not as important as my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to be reminded that it's not easy. 
that being a Christian, God didn't promise to make my life easy and give me everything that I want. And these are just me. But I think these are the things that I, and there's probably more. I need to be reminded of stuff like this all the time because it's against my nature to feel this way, to think this way. There's that law in my members which makes me want to sin. So I need these reminders. You need these reminders. You need to remind me of other stuff too, which is why to be reminded we go to church so we can hear from our brothers and sisters. They can remind us about stuff we already know, but we need to be reminded. It's why we read the Bible so that we can be reminded about stuff we already know. It's why we talk to God in prayer because he will remind us through that. It's why we serve people and love people because Jesus, that's what Jesus does is he serves people and loves people. And you'll be reminded, which means you'll be stirred up. Now, like I've been saying, the reason why I had that Fitbit thing at the beginning is because it's something outside of me that can cause me to change, which is what we need. So we have two things here, which Peter brings up, that's going to help us to be reminded so that we're stirred up to do the work that God has for us. And so the first thing that's going to help us to, to stir us up by way of reminder is the, the fact that this is a fact, that it's real. Look at verse 16 through 18. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Let me pause right there. See, he's saying this is real. We're not following a cunningly devised fable. That's why we need to be reminded so we're stirred up because this is, this is a real thing. It's not a cute little story. It's not a cunningly devised fable. Now, some people might disagree with me on that. I don't think anyone here, but some people listening might, might disagree when I say Christianity is not a cute little story. It's not a cunningly devised fable. When I was a teacher and I taught English, we used to read this book, science fiction book called I, Robot. And it's written in the 50s, a great, like, very deep, thought-provoking book. And in the book, there was a, a story, a short story within that book, where there was a super advanced robot, super smart. And they were, he had artificial intelligence, and they were trying to train the robot to take over the space station so that they wouldn't need humans there anymore. And he was very smart. So the, the humans made the robot, they assembled him, activated him, and the robot, who has artificial intelligence, he starts thinking. And he realizes, because he's thinking, that I'm alive and that he exists. And he realizes if he exists, he came from somewhere. So he wanted to find that out. What smart robot. If, if I think, therefore, I am, and if I exist, I came from somewhere. So he asked the humans who made him, well, where did I come from? Where's my creator? And they told him, well, we built you. We built you here to take over the space station so that we can leave. And the robot kind of laughs at them. No, you didn't build me. I'm faster than you. I'm stronger than you. You need to eat to survive. You need to sleep to survive. I don't need any of that. There's no way that an inferior being could have created a superior being like me. So he wasn't going to buy their, their little story that, in his point of view, that he was created by these humans. He wanted to find out the truth from his point of view. So the humans said, okay. They tried reasoning with him. They, he wouldn't listen. They said, okay, you look into it. Tell us where you came from. So the robot investigates, goes around the space station. He comes to the conclusion that the supercomputer at the center of the space station created him because that was the only thing superior to him. So he started to worship that supercomputer as his creator. Now here's the point. It's a deep story. The point I'm trying to make here is that to that robot, 
That was very smart. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty smart. It all makes sense. It's all logical. The only problem was he was wrong. It wasn't the truth. It was the truth from how he thought of it. And he had assumed that since he was the superior being, he couldn't have been created by the inferior. He had a preconception that changed the way he saw things, and he was completely wrong, even though it was smart. And what I'm saying is, Jesus, God, Christianity, is not a cunningly devised fable. And there's all sorts of cunningly devised fables out there to distract us, to get us to not believe in it. For example, evolution, I don't want to pick on that too much, but there's a a preconception that there is no creator. And so let's try to come up with a belief system that can account for the fact that there is no God. So I would challenge, follow the truth where it goes. See, that's a cunningly devised fable. If you exist, you came from somewhere, not from nowhere. This is not a cunningly devised fable. Jesus is not a cunningly devised fable. It's not a cute little story. It's reality. It's real and it's true. The reason why, look at the next part. When we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to call Christianity a cunningly devised fable, you have to deny the power of Jesus, which means you have to tell me that I'm following a cunningly devised fable when I know how Jesus has changed my life. They're going to have to tell you you're following a cunningly devised fable. No, you know the power of Jesus coming. You know what Jesus does in people and how he changes lives, and there's power there. It's not a cute little story. There's power in Jesus coming. Because Jesus coming shows who God is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And then the Word dwelt among us. The Word is the clearest revelation of who you are. The words you speak say who you are. Jesus is the Word of God. He is the revelation of God. He is God. It's not a cunningly devised fable because he comes with power. Now there's more proof here. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's how we know. That's how 2,000 years later, in Twin Falls, Idaho, That's how we worship Jesus Christ. Someone who lived halfway around the world 2,000 years ago. It's because there are eyewitnesses. There are witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. See, again, if you want to call it cunningly devised fable, come up with another explanation for that. Jesus rose from death, and Christianity began a couple months after that in the city he died in. If there were no eyewitnesses, we would not be Christians today. There are eyewitnesses of Jesus' power. So Peter calls himself here an eyewitness because he is. And eyewitnesses have a testimony and they have evidence. So Peter gives us one bit of evidence. Verse 17 and 18. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So this is... One of the evidence Peter has that he was an eyewitness to Jesus' power is that he's talking about the transfiguration. I'm going to read a couple verses out of Mark chapter 9, which shows the transfiguration. I picked Mark because that's most likely Peter's telling of the event to Mark. Here's the transfiguration. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. So that's one bit of Peter's eyewitness testimony to the power of Jesus. And the transfiguration, what it's about is a glimpse of Jesus in his glory. A glimpse of Jesus as when he is king, ruling and reigning in his new kingdom, where he is the king. And they got a glimpse of that. But Peter, he didn't know what to say, which I love. He just said stuff because he didn't know what to say. Oh, and he says, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents. It'll be a tent for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And the idea, I mean, it's like they're somewhat equal. They each have their own little tent. But then the voice comes, which is the father, saying, no. You heard the law from Moses. You heard the prophets from Elijah. Now hear my son. There's not three tents, there's one tent. If they're not equal, there's Jesus who is above. Because that's God the Father speaking from heaven, not saying, listen to me, He's saying, hear my son. Because that's Jesus revealed in his glorified state. So what Peter's getting at in these verses, back in 2 Peter, guys, this is, this is real. Whether you like it or not, it's real. That's why we need to be reminded so we're stirred up. And one of the things that's going to help you coming outside of nature is remembering it. Yeah, it's not a little story. This isn't some little belief system. The reality is there is a God and his name is Jesus and we are going to be held accountable to him for what we've done and we are going to be condemned unless Jesus has paid the penalty for our condemnation. And that's the reality. And the reason why we know that is because the power of his coming and because there are eyewitnesses I mean, we know that power, and the eyewitnesses have spread the word for 2,000 years. So why we know. Now, that's one thing that's going to help us to be stirred up. Here's the second one. It's the Bible, God's word, which comes from outside of our nature to remind us to stir us up. Verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. What you do well to heed is a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Well, the first half of that verse is very interesting. That phrase where it says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. And so what that says is that because of Peter saying his eyewitness testimony, seeing Jesus' life and death and resurrection and the transfiguration and, and all that Peter saw, so now we have the prophetic word confirmed. In other words, Jesus' Life, death, resurrection, ascension confirms the entirety of the prophetic word, which to that point was the Old Testament. We have that confirmed. Jesus confirmed that, which means that is God's word. But there's something interesting here. That that phrase can be equally translated validly and truthfully in two different ways. This is New King James. It says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. But if, if you're looking at New King James, you might have a footnote. Mine does. It says, or we also have the more sure prophetic word, which is also how the old King James translated. Both are equally valid and equally true, which I think that way of translating it is amazing. It says again, we also have the more sure prophetic word. And if it's translated that way, what that means is that Peter's eyewitness accounts 
are not even as sure as the prophetic word. We have the more sure prophetic word, which is more sure than even Peter's eyewitness account, which again is saying God's word is reliable and trustworthy to stir us up. What that means is that words, God's word, is more effective than miracles at creating faith and sustaining our faith. Because what was the result of the transfiguration on Peter? I mean, immediately. Not a lot. He saw Jesus glorified. We know how much Peter continued to make mistakes and fail. Seeing that didn't have deep, profound change on Peter until the Holy Spirit came. What about the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus, which Jesus talks about? Where the rich man is in the place of the dead, and he says to Abraham, send someone to warn my brothers that this is real so that they'll repent, so that they won't come here. Abraham says, oh, they, they have the, the scriptures. They can read those. And the rich man says, yeah, but if someone came to them, they would believe. And Abraham says, very ironically, even if someone raised from the dead, they wouldn't believe if they won't believe the scriptures. See, we have the more sure prophetic word. And, and I've been in that place. I mean, I know when I was a non-believer, when I was an atheist, what I had wanted, one of my excuses was, if God wanted me to believe in him, he would make it obvious that he exists. He would do something that would make it obvious he exists. You know, kind of ignoring literally everything I see around me, uh, making it obvious that he exists. But there was, I wanted something more tangible, something real that I couldn't deny, had to be God. Well, Peter had that, that that didn't change him as much as God dwelling within him, the Holy Spirit. It says we have the more sure prophetic word. If we won't believe the Bible, we won't believe even if someone would rise from the dead. And see, that's great that we have God's word to stir us up. But it's not that great unless you do the second half of the verse. What you do well to heed is the light that shines in a dark place. If we have the more sure prophetic word, if we have God's word, confirmed by eyewitness testimony. You would do well to heed it as a light that shines in a dark place. And we know we live in a dark place. Yeah, there's a lot of beauty around. There's a lot of nice things, but there's a lot of darkness and evil. In the same way, you would look at a light in a dark place to give you clarity, to give you the way out, give you direction and guidance. That's how we should see God's word. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until it's not dark anymore. Until Jesus comes back until the morning star rises in your hearts. And what that's talking about, the morning star is Venus. You know, when it's, the night's almost done, and you see, like, right before the sun comes up, there's the moon out there, and then you see the one bright little star. Well, it's not a star, it's actually Venus. They call it the morning star. Because when the morning star was out, it was almost daytime. The night was almost done. And when the morning star rises in our hearts, That's God coming to live within us and telling us these are the last days. Day is almost dawning. You have the morning star. You have hope. You know the day is going to dawn. We're going to heed his word as we would to a light in a dark place. Verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke is they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Again, he's telling us why we listen to God's word. 
It's a reminder. It's going to stir us up. It's going to change us. He's saying people didn't make it up. It's not of private interpretation. It's not by the will of man. It's holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's how we have the Bible today. And these verses are kind of summed up in the idea. It's called verbal plenary inspiration. A verbal is words, the words of God. Plenary is all of it. It's all authoritative and inspiration, that it's divinely directed. That's basically what's saying in verse 21. And it's not like the writers were in a trance and God was moving their hand to write the words. It means that the writers of the Bible, they were human writing under the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which is what makes it inerrant, which makes it God's word in the original language and the original manuscripts. See, what he's saying is what better thing to help us change our nature than the very words of God spoken to us and being reminded of them and then doing them. And so that's what he's telling us. He's stirring us up by way of reminder. He's always going to remind us. Even though we know a lot of stuff already, Already, we need to be reminded. We need stuff outside of our natures to help us change, such as the fact that this is real and that we have the word of God to tell us. So to end, I mean, the, the concluding thing, the exhortation. One thing would be, I want to be, I want you to be excited to be reminded so that we're more likely to do the work. Even if you don't hear anything new, the church service or whatever, it's the reminder, so we're more excited, not just to know stuff, but to do stuff. Not to be hearers of the word, but doers. See, what's important to God is not that we need to be reminded, but that we say yes. Hey, don't worry if, if you're like me, you need to be reminded a thousand times to finally get the idea. Well, I should really start loving my neighbor. I mean, I've heard that a thousand times and I think it's maybe starting to click a little bit and it's going to keep more pounding and reminding because that's against who I am. That's fine that I need a thousand reminders to do it as long as I do it. And here's proof. Matthew 21. This is Jesus talking, 28 through 31. A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, Go, work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? Was it the one who said, he's not going to go, but changed his mind and finally did it? Or is it the one who said, yeah, I'm going to do it, but never actually did it? If you need to be reminded a thousand times, it's fine. As long as we eventually go. We do it. That's the idea. What's not important is saying, I go, sir, and then not going. It's actually going. See, don't just hear reminders, but be stirred up by them, that you would do the work that God has for you to move his kingdom forward, which goes against our nature, which means we need something to help us change. Like this is real, and we have God's word. Now, if you're not a Christian, not a cunningly devised fable. Follow the truth wherever it leads. Not to fit your preconceptions, but the truth where it leads. And I would even say Christians do that. We shouldn't be afraid to do that. Truth is true. And we can follow that where that leads. It's going to lead us to a creator. And you got to figure out what to do if you have a creator. You're going to be accountable if he cares about you and he loves you. If you're a Christian... Listen to reminders to be stirred up to do them. Again, how to be reminded. Because this is about being reminded about reminders. Okay, number one, 
Not in any order, but I'm just numbering. You need to be in church around fellow Christians who are going to remind you. In my experience, that's probably most effective. When other people come talk to me and say, man, here's what God has been showing me, here's what God has been doing to me, just kind of say something, that usually hits me pretty hard. So it's good to be in church. It's good to be around fellow Christians, to be in fellowship. Another way to be reminded, read your Bible, God's Word. That's going to stir up in you stuff you might already know, but now you need to go do it. Praying. God's going to remind you of stuff you need to do. Loving people and serving. That reminds me because that's the work that Jesus has. So that reminds me of other stuff that I should be. And I shouldn't say need to do, but it's an honor to do, right? It's not a chore. I need to remind myself again. It's not a chore. So what do you need to be reminded of? And what have you been reminded of a lot that now maybe let's start to say, let's start to go, start to do it. Instead of saying, yeah, I go, sir, but not really doing it. That's the idea to be reminded, to stir us up, to wake us up. And so let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for reminding us on how important it is to be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us and what you ask of us to do joyfully and lovingly to serve you. Father, I confess, along with my brothers and sisters, that there's been times where we've been reminded, but we didn't do what we were reminded of. There's been times we've been reminded, but, you know, I've heard this before. God, help us to change our hearts and our minds to joyfully do what you have called us to do because you are a loving God and a faithful God and a merciful and gracious God and Father. God, I pray that you would give us reminders and give us courage to do them. Father, if there's anyone who's listening who's not a Christian, I pray that you would put it within them now. Speak to them to follow the truth, not cunningly devised fables. God, help us to stir each other up by way of reminder, not to be afraid of reminding our brothers and sisters, but to do it lovingly and joyfully. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for what you've done for us, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.